I welcome the congregation here on Zoom and those who are online to this teaching. It is uh, it's a continuation of a series we started a few weeks ago. The aim is to uh, take uh, an up close and personal look and examine the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew uh, chapter 6 that says, take heed. There are so many take heeds that we have uh, in the scriptures. But the ones in the book of Matthew are very important right now, and that's what I like to continue speaking on for a while. Uh, they are the ones the Jews actually refer to as personal religion. They are actually three. Number one is almsgiving, which we just uh, concluded the uh, series is in three parts. And number two is prayer, which we want to start today, which I'm starting right now. And number three, which we're going to do later on, is fasting. The Jews, as well as Jesus, knew the power in these three things and dwelled on them so very much. Uh, Jesus actually sounded warning to believers to take heed how you do these three things. Why? Because number one, these three things are done in secret. Number two, you must not sound your trumpet about it when you do them. Number three, you must not be hypocritical about it as the Gentiles do. Number four, <laughs> they are not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's not that you have an option about it. And that's why it tells you that when you want to do it, be careful. This is how. Then number five, three of them have reward by God personally. We can see today that there is an attack on these three things, that is fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. The devil knows that if a believer, if you and I can actually get these things straight, if you can do them correctly, we will be a firebrand. The devil knows is in big trouble and mess. What it does is to make sure that people do this thing wrongly or in a corrupt way. The strategy of Satan is to attack something right from inside out. He knows that if the seed is corrupt, the fruit automatically will also be corrupt. Satan is using the church itself to fight the saints. Isn't that something? No religion, no organization, no group, no government has ever persecuted the children of God more than the church, historically. No war ever killed Christians more than the church. No persecution was ever so great against the Christians more than the persecution from the church itself. So we have to understand that basic fact that Satan attacks from right from within. In the light of that, it's either the church is fake or it has been corrupted. Which one? The answer is both. And that tells you and I that something is, something is not right. Jesus and the disciples were eating with their own uh, washing hands and the Pharisees had problems with, uh, with that because ceremonially you're supposed to wash their hands and Jesus Christ said no it's not what 
heart goes in, but what comes out of a man that defiles a man. So if your heart is corrupt, the communication that comes from your mind to your mouth is going to be corrupt. So we see that the attack is against the Christians, right? But is using the church to make sure that most of the things Christians do is wrong. And that's why we see uh, many powerless Christians. Just like someone who is sick and the medication is taken, it's a wrong medication. And that's what that's the narrative of the of the church right now. Uh, so we know that the church had been taken over by Satan through his agents and through his agencies. And they're still in control up till today. That's why you see that the leadership, the followership, the membership, the fellowship, and everything has been tampered with, has been corrupted. If Paul or Peter or even Jesus himself was to visit the church today, they would ask the question, oh, excuse me, what religion is this? Because it's totally strange. Because there is an attack. There is an attack and you are involved in the attack and... The, the, the way out is for you and I to know the strategy of the enemy. The Bible says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we have to have the right word. We have to have the right tool. You know, getting these things right will vanquish all the attacks of the enemy. And Satan will do everything to make sure that we don't get these things right. Right now, uh, the church is not getting the arms given right. The same thing with prayer. The tool in the hand of Satan is the Pentecostal movement that is making them to do so well what is not supposed to be done at all. Prayer is one of the most engaged activity in the world and in the church today. And yet there seems to be no answer, no Reward today. I'm going to proceed on the next take heed in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, which is our text. In this place, Jesus Christ said, Take heed how you pray. It's not about you praying, it's about knowing how to. Prayer is a science, prayer is an art, prayer is an how to. You have to know how it requires no knowing, it requires a knowledge. We have to establish the fact that. Prayer is one of the things Satan has corrupted because he knows that when a Christian gets prayer right, it's going to get him out. Prayer is the most powerful force in the universe. Everybody's praying, but nothing seems to be happening. The, the reason is because we do not know how to pray. And uh Pentecostalism, just as I reiterate all the time, uh, it's, it's a tool in the hand of the enemy. Uh, Satan finds that movement uh, very handy. Imagine if this movement gets one thing right. And Satan will make sure that they don't get it right. Now, aside, aside from being rascally, uh, it's bedeviled by greed and mammon, power and fame and all these things, and you can see them all around you. Money is the invention of Satan, and it can give you money as long as you, it gets you doing something. Almsgiving has totally been obliterated from the pulpit today. And those who do it, do it wrongly. 
Prayer is everywhere, but answer is nowhere. We have leaders who tell people what to do, but they themselves are doing something else. We have leaders who tell people to pray for protection, but they themselves are hiring police escorts and law enforcement agents to protect them. We have leaders who are fleecing the poor by selling articles to them purportedly to protect them in form of wristbands, in form of bumper stickers, but they themselves are being protected by something else. Police escorts and law enforcement agents, they promise them prosperity and healing and breakthrough. They tell them to ask God to do this thing for them, but they themselves are engaged in something else that is multiplying their prosperity. Many of these people get their prosperity from selling books, getting contract with the government, investing in oil rigs, stock trading. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know this thing, because I know that you probably know more than I do. Yet they tell people to keep praying. Praying for something they should not be prayed for and praying in a wrong way, they ask them to keep fasting. Fasting in a wrong way, I mean, 40 days fasting for blessing. There's never a single place in the scripture that people are asked to fast for 40 days. 40 days fasting is a supernatural fasting that God himself gave individual, and you can count how many of them from Genesis to Revelation. Why, why do you keep people fasting for 40 days? For, for what? I am not blaming these people. I am blaming you and I. And it's not a blame. It's telling us to rise up. And the Bible says that because you reject knowledge, I also will reject you. And we can see from almsgiving that one of the people you do not give alms to is, you, is your leaders. You do not give alms to your leader because it's a curse for you to give alms to, uh, to the rich. But today, every giving comes to them, come to their church, come to the organization, come to their pet project, and things like that. The same thing with prayer. They keep you coming for prayer, but we have to understand that prayer is a science. You can pray for 70 days, you can pray for 40 days. If you do not pray according to what the Lord, I mean, according to how you're supposed to pray, it, 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 does, it, it does nothing. I do not understand why... Uh, People ride on bulletproof vehicles. They ride with convoys of police escorts. All right, they live in heavily guarded mansions. They have private jets. You know, they travel to, to choice resort centers all over the world with exotic cars. Isn't that madness? And we tell people to keep praying. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 2, it says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. Now there's another thing, there's another writer to that. It says, for whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought into bondage. Now, many people have been brought into bondage, of, 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 uh, into the bondage of corruption. It's easier for you and I to criticize these people, but when we get to where they, they are, and we don't change, that is when everything we say 
can be well said. There is no guarantee for you and I that when we get to where they get to, what corrupts them will not corrupt us. It's a leaven. And the Bible says a little leaven leavens a lot. People who have been who are sincere with God, who met with God, have been brought to a piece of bread by the spirit of mammon. We can't be too if we do not guard our heart. Proverbs 22 and verse 16. He said, He that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, number one, and number two, and he that gives to the rich, both of them shall surely come to want. Now, some of the rich know this thing, and when they bring people together and engage them in an activity, and what better activity can people be engaged in that is more than prayer? Because it gives them a false hope that they are doing something for themselves. Satan works from within. It corrupts from within. And corruption is very infectious. It's not about religious leaders alone. It's about the spirit of this world. It's about leadership generally. Maybe you know one or two people who are, maybe when they were poor or when they were, before they got to the government, they were the mouthpiece of the people. They were champion of emancipation. But no sooner than they get to the same place that they're criticizing, they become corrupt. Corruption is infectious. It's only people that are guarded by the Spirit of God uh, that can survive it. The truth will set you free. Leaders never want followers to know the truth because they know that truth brings freedom. We have leaders who sit on pyramid. Now, when the people who are the base of that pyramid leaves, you know what happens to people who are at the top. Satan is not sleeping. Satan is attacking uh, the most fundamental Christian practice that affects you and I. And it's using the people that we are used to, that we will believe people, our own people, is using them against us. Many of them are doing it ignorantly. And many of them, have be, have, their heart has been seared as with the art iron, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't care less. Now there's a spirit that gets into people at the top and that's the spirit of lack of compassion. We want to pray and pray right. If it's only five minutes time we have to pray, let's pray right. If it's only 30 minutes, let's pray right. 30 minutes of prayer that is right is, is far better than praying for 40 days and 40 nights without any result. Why is it that we keep praying and there is no result? All over the world, there are prayer mountains, people go to night vigils, and uh, people pray and fast, and nothing happens. And I'm saying that to you and I. God is not a wicked God. It's something we are not doing right. And that's the reason why Jesus said, take heed. Take heed how you pray. There is an how-to. Take heed, he warned. Be careful how you pray. So we'll be looking at that. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 6 to see what exactly uh, Jesus is saying. The Jews take prayer and fasting and uh, almsgiving as personal religion. And Jesus also coming from Judaism now and telling his uh, believers, he said, take heed. He said, when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites, for they love to pray in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Verily I say unto you, 
have your reward. We have read these things uh, many times, perhaps when you were young, five, six, seven, ten years old, and when you were in the kids' department in the church, you know, you know, familiarity brings contempt. Uh, it takes a man who has never read the Bible before to read the Bible with, with all the meanings and all the spiritual blessings that is there. So let's look at how not to pray first. Thou shalt not be as who? Hypocrites are. How do hypocrites pray? Uh, let's define who are the hypocrites anyway. Who are the hypocrites? So people think hypocrites are, are the Gentiles, the unbelievers, uh, right? No, they are not the hypocrites. Those are not hypocrites. <laughs> What's the definition of hypocrites? Right, people who have a false appearance. Now, and, and virtue. See, hypocrites are people who are phony people, who are not legit, who would try to, uh, yes, present themselves as who they are not. Fake it till you make it. Just keep faking it. Hypocrites have all the appearance to convince an average person that they are who they are pretending to be, right? They can fool you. There was a time, in the, I guess in Galatians, that Paul actually calls Peter an hypocrite. Being an hypocrite doesn't mean that you are an unbeliever. Paul called Peter an hypocrite because Peter was pretending to be who he was not. If Peter was eating with the Gentiles, right? He didn't have any problem with that. And immediately, Paul and his people, Titus and the rest of them, came in. Peter disembarked. And Paul noticed him and said, you are to blame. You are a hypocrite. Why should you do that? That doesn't mean that Paul and Peter was no longer uh, a believer or who he was. But it was a pretense. When you form a pretense. In a CEV translation, it says, when you pray, don't be like those who show off. Which means that hypocrites pray, right? Hypocrites are not Gentiles. Hypocrites are not unbelievers. Hypocrites are not atheists. So these people actually pray. It may even be you. They love to pray standing in the synagogue. What's the synagogue? The synagogue is like our church today. So we have people who stand in the church to pray. It calls them hypocrites. Does that mean it's wrong for us to stand in the church, uh, in the assembly uh, to pray? But no. The reason they are doing that, the reason they are praying is so that they can be seen. So that the pastor will say, oh, oh, Sister Clara is praying. Oh, praise God. Oh, Pastor Johnson is praying. Oh, praise God. Oh, uh, the Reverend, uh, Reverend this is praying. Oh, thank God. They just want to pray. Have you ever been in a situation where you are in a prayer, a, a prayer place, you really don't feel like praying or you're tired of praying, you don't know what to pray and you see the pastor coming and immediately you start to nod your head. Oh, oh, oh. Why? So that they may be seen. You are an hypocrite. You say you have already received your reward. You are deceiving yourself. You have nothing. You have no reward. So we know that hypocrites go to church, right? Hypo hypocrites go to fellowship, right? Uh, the reason why they are hypocrites is because of their style of prayer. And let me ask you, what is your style of prayer? Can you be a sincere hypocrite? If you have been taught that that is how to pray, and you are praying the way you have been taught, does that make you a hypocrite? It makes you a hypocrite. 
if you have been taught in a wrong way and you are doing exactly the way you have been wrong, you have been taught, albeit it's wrong, does that make it right? It doesn't make it right. And the problem we have with prayer is that we pray in our traditional way, in the way your mother taught you, in the way your pastor taught you, in the way the congregation has taught you, in the way that you have been taught, in the way you grew up. So that is how to pray. But have you ever wondered if you have been taught wrong? Because the person that taught you was taught wrong. So he's teaching you wrong and you are teaching others wrong. Is that possible? Prayer is something that has to be learned. If you don't learn it, you don't know it. If you never learn how to pray, you don't know how to pray. Because prayer has an how. Have you ever asked the same question that disciples asked in Luke chapter 11 and verse 1? Now, there's something I'd like to point out to us here. Prayer, apart from the fact that prayer is a secret thing, prayer is a personal thing. How many times did you see Jesus bringing people and asking them to pray? Now, you, you, will, you will appreciate the pattern and the manner of Jesus' prayer. He took them to a place and he asked them, pray with me. So he left them there, but he himself went farther because prayer is a personal thing. And when he came back, he saw these people who had already slept and woke them up and said, can you not pray with me for one hour? Sometimes we get this wrong. We thought Jesus was asking them to pray for him. But Jesus actually, you know, um, Jesus actually straightened that thing out. He said, pray that you do not. <laughs> the day I got the revelation, he said, pray that you, you think I ask you to pray for me. No, pray that you do not enter into temptation. I am in a temptation. Pray with me. When they didn't pray, oh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He said, you don't know anything. <laughs> you think I ask you to pray for me? Pray that you do not enter into temptation. Several times, Jesus went into secluded places. He prayed all alone by himself. Several times, the Bible says, early in the morning, before dawn, Jesus left. He went yonder to pray by himself. Several times, Jesus was with the disciples. He left them and he went further to pray on the mountain of this. He prayed alone. Ninety-some percent of the time, Jesus prayed alone because prayer is personal. It's a personal religion. It's a personal thing between you and God. Does that mean that we cannot pray a congregational prayer? That doesn't mean that. But when you are praying even among 1,000 or 1 million people, prayer is still personal. Jesus was passing by. Uh, the crowd was following him. The disciples were thronging at him. And Jesus stopped all of a sudden and he said, Who touched me? He knew. There were many crowds, but only one woman was praying. The woman prayed and touched the helm of the garment of Jesus and the Bible said she was healed. You can be in the midst of a thousand people and you are praying, but that prayer is personal. And it came to pass that as he was praying, in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him now, he was praying. And when he stopped, now, like you to, to, can you time travel back to that time and look at Jesus in that scene? I'd like you to predict, uh, let me read it again, and I'd like to get somebody who can actually get it. Okay, I'll, I'll read that place again. I'd like you to predict the scene. 
project yourself in uh, time travel yourself into that place said and it came to pass that it was praying in a certain place when he seized one of his disciples said unto him lord teach us to pray what do you think happened there that is correct they were there watching him as he prayed he didn't say you guys don't even know how to pray didn't you see me pray you follow me pray as i'm praying say this they said that say this they said that no he was praying all alone by himself the best way to teach anyone anything is to teach by example it's not to co-opt people into doing it but it's to is to show them do it let them watch you do it if the man of the house always helped the, 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 the wife in the, around the house as the children were growing up, they saw the man sweeping, they saw the man washing the dishes, they saw the man always there trying to fix things, there's much probability that when the children, especially the boys, grow up, they will remember what the father used to do, they will do exactly, even without telling them. Because we learn more by what we see, and that's why... Uh, uh, Philip asked Jesus Christ he said, show us the father we know you've been talking about the father you've been saying, talking about him please show us the father and it sufficeth us was that not the language <laughs> he said show us the show us the father and Thomas when Thomas learned that Jesus resurrected and he was present he, was, uh, he appeared to some people he said I'm not going to believe that until I see with my eyes and touch with my hands there's a power of seeing. Okay? They saw Jesus. You observed him. How's this man praying? This man was praying. And when he seized, according to the scriptures, he said, when he seized, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples how to pray. I'm going to ask you a question. Were the disciples praying before they met Jesus? Yes or yes? yes? Yes, they were praying. Why were they asking Jesus to teach them how to pray? Many of them were older than Jesus. Many of them had been praying before Jesus was born. And here was Jesus praying. They were just looking at him. They must have observed that his style of prayer was different from their style of prayer, right? And they wanted to learn. The only person that cannot make it in life, literally, as, as, uh, as, uh, as it is, is someone that refuses to learn. One disciple told us, Jesus, teach, he didn't say, teach me. He said, teach us. I am speaking on behalf of other people. Teach us how to pray. Because we learned that John also taught his disciples. John taught the disciples his disciples how to pray now they were asking teach us so have you ever been taught how to pray have you ever asked the question teach us how to pray so prayer is one of the, uh, the things you don't assume you know how to it has to be learned in romans chapter 8 and verse 26 the bible says likewise the spirit helps our infirmities for we know not how to pray or what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. It's a but the Spirit helps our infirmities. The Spirit makes intercession, but you do not have the Spirit. 
It's going to be a problem there. There's going to be a problem there. It is the spirit that makes intercession for the saints. And how does it do it? It does it with groanings, which cannot be uttered. That's what the Bible says. It does it with groanings. Even the spirit, <laughs> when the spirit prays, the spirit prays with groanings, which cannot be said, which cannot be uttered, which we cannot even describe. Now, if the spirit prays with groanings, which cannot be uttered, how do you pray? And so people say, okay, if that's the way the spirit prays, of, of course, I'm not a spirit, but I can pray the, uh, the, the way the spirit prays. Let me also pray with groaning that cannot be uttered. Say, oh, mm, mm, mm. Some people do that. And well, I've been in the gathering before, and as we were praying, and the pastor was not satisfied with the way the people are praying. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation when the pastor is not just satisfied with the way you are praying? You are not shouting enough. You are not displaying energy. Your emotion is not strong enough. You are not running around. You're, you still have your voice. You, you have not broken your vocal cord. And the guy is not just satisfied. And I can't, I cannot uh, forget uh, a time when I heard someone saying, when you pray, do not let the voice of the next person by your side be be uh, louder than your own voice. That is madness. That's a house of commotion. Now, when you gather a thousand people, two thousand, three thousand, or maybe ten thousand, even more people, and you charge them that they should shout, each person should make sure the voice of the other person is not louder than his voice. What do you have? Total chaos. And people go home with a broken voice, but with a sense of the uh, sense of uh, gratification. Oh, we have prayed. <laughs> we have prayed. And gets to the work, get home, he greets the wife. The wife says, What's wrong with you? Prayed. How is that? How that could have been good if we prayed according to the Spirit of God? The spirit, the spirit, the spirit, but you do not have the spirit. Now, if you do not have the spirit, you cannot pray an effective prayer because it is the spirit that prays within us. Could your denomination be wrong about prayer? Could your mother be wrong about prayer? <laughs> Could you be wrong about the way you pray? Sometimes we are the hypocrites we are looking for. You are probably the hypocrite Jesus was talking about. 